somebody now. It's not at a meet and greet where we jump up and down. It's right here in the worship. Come on, somebody. We're not running the aisles in meet and greet. We run the aisles during worship. Come on, somebody. I'm wondering if right now you can worship the Lord. Can somebody just jump up and down and give God some glory? Come on, somebody. You were doing it during meet and greet, but can you do it now? Can you praise the Lord now? You don't have to wait for the battle to be over. You can shout right now. You don't have to wait for your trial to be over. You can shout right now. Woo! Amen. Now, we do something in church called a hallelujah check. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I just want you to shout hallelujah. Now, now, find the person who's really serious. And then I want you to shout one more time on the top of your lungs, hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. When you shout hallelujah, you're giving God the highest praise. That's why it doesn't matter what's going on during your day or at school. But when you lift up God's, when you lift up the name of Jesus, your situation begins to change. Can somebody just lift up the name of Jesus one more time in this place? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, you got a little more shot than that. Doesn't God deserve our best? Doesn't God deserve our best? Woo! One more time, just shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's clap our hands all across this house. Woo! Y'all can make your way back to your seats. Y'all can make your way back to your seats. Now listen. When we're worshiping, when we're giving God glory, that's the time where we can jump up and down. Amen? Because we show God that we love him. We can't express it any other way by running the aisles and doing whatever we need to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Now listen, I have the distinct privilege and honor of bringing up our speaker tonight. He is our director for Bible study for heat. Let's give it up for Brother Matthew Clark. Yes. How many love Brother Matthew? Come on. How many love Brother Matthew? Woo. Amen. I have a lot of incredible memories with Matthew. Being in heat with him and then growing up and going camping and doing multiple things. Going to early morning prayer and then going to breakfast together. But let me tell you something about Brother Matthew. He loves God. He loves God with all of his heart. And he's passionate about the things of God. Now that's the best thing, to be passionate about the things of God. And Matthew, whatever you feel tonight, whether we shout, whether we cry, whether we dance, we just want you to obey the Holy Ghost. Amen? All right, now everybody, I want you to do me a favor. Stand up real quick. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Come on, everybody stand up. I need you to do one more thing. Now. I'm going to, you're going to say preach the word, okay? On the count of three, Brother Matthew, we want you to, what? Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that. Brother Matthew, what do we want you to do? Come on, Brother Matthew, come preach the word. How many of y'all are thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to give honor to Bishop and First Lady. This Verlazas, Pastor and Sister Verlazas, I'm very honored for you, very thankful for you. Thank you for giving me the honor and the privilege of being able to speak to all these young people tonight. I give honor to my wife as well. She's awesome. Very thankful for her. Without further ado, I like to be mindful of the time and preach whatever the assignment that God has laid on my heart to preach and give to you guys tonight. So without further ado, media, if you can please turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17, verse 26 to 32, and I'll be really quick here. The scripture says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. 
They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day, verse 31, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. I'd like to read the amplified version of that same scripture. The word of the Lord says in verse 31 in the Amplified. It says this, on that day, whoever is on the housetop with his belongings in the house must not come down and go inside to take them out. And likewise, whoever is in the field must not turn back. In verse 32, remember what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back. The King James says, remember Lot's wife. I know some of us have heard this message thousands of times, preached different ways, different topics, preached from this, and they're all good. And I know I don't always come up here preaching a happy message. This may not be for any one of y'all. This may be just, I may just be telling you what God just has been dealing with me in my heart and my personal walk with him. But if I could just take your time just for a few moments to talk about a topic, a thought that came to my mind, a scripture that stood out to me in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. And if I could talk to you for just a few moments, I would like to talk to you on this thought. Remember Lot's wife. If we could just lift up our hands for a few moments and just usher in the presence of God in this sanctuary tonight. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're so thankful that we get to be here and we have the opportunity to be able to be here in this sanctuary tonight. Lord, I ask that you please prepare the hearts and minds of every young lady, every young man, every adult in this house, anyone underneath the sound of my voice, God. Lord, I ask you please prepare them and help them and direct them, oh God. Lord, if this is something they've already heard, let this be a reminder, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're so thankful, God. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. And everyone to say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The word remember is a word that means to bring to mind or think of again, to keep in mind for attention or consideration. To remember something means to reflect on something that happened in the past. Something that happened in your life could be good, could be bad. Whether it be the death of a loved one or whether it be some happy feeling or an event that, took, uh, that transpired in life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Media, if you could pull that up for me, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 6. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were passed under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And I just want to skip down just for the sake of time. Verse 6 says, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And then the apostle Paul says the same thing 
down in verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them. He says it again, emphasizing the point to remember what the Israelites did and don't do after the things, the choices they made. Now all, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. The book of Genesis, in the days of Noah, the earth was full of wickedness. Every wicked thing you can imagine. The Bible doesn't, doesn't specify exactly what those things are, but um, for, you know, just, just to summarize everything, they put it in one word, and that was wickedness. And the world was so wicked, for all of you that don't know, I'm just going to just kind of paraphrase through this story. The world was so wicked that it repented God that he had made man on the earth. And it got, it got down to the point where he wanted to destroy the earth. And there was two, two important figures in this passage, for, uh, fast forwarding to the days of Abraham. Abraham had a nephew named Lot, and they were both herdsmen. And there came a day when they had so much cattle that there was strife between the herdsmen. And it boiled down to the point where they were like, you know what? You go one way, and I'll go the other way. That way there's no strife between us. And the, the Bible, the word of the Lord says that Abraham went one direction, but it specifies that Lot beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was all well watered everywhere. That's Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. There was something about the well-watered plains of Jordan that was captivating to Lot. Lot, you have to understand, Lot, his, his uncle, Abraham, obviously we understand, we can conclude that he taught Lot everything there is to know about God, just in general. That's what they taught. That was a commandment from God, that they were to teach every child, everyone. He knew the word of the Lord just like I did, maybe even more. He knew the word of the Lord just like y'all did. He, he heard his, his uncle preach to him, heard his uncle teach him, heard his uncle teach him how to pray, pray with him, take him to this place, take him to that place. And it came to a point when Lot got older. I don't know how old Lot was at this point, but at some point when Lot got, when he grew older, he decided to pitch his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And there was something odd about this because Scripture mentions even at that point when he started to pitch his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah, that the Scripture mentions that it was a, a place of wickedness and sin. It was evil. Everyone knew when you said Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was like, it was like what's Sin City? Was that Las Vegas or... It's like when I say Sin City, you guys can correlate that to Las Vegas. It was well known. It was known throughout the land. That's what I'm, I'm assuming from Scripture that it was known because it was written in the word of the Lord. Something so gratifying and breathtaking that caused him to pitch his tent and eventually we find in Scripture chapters later that he's now living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find that he lives there long enough to um, marry a woman there and to raise a family there, start a family, raise some kids. And it came to a point when God saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah that he was going to destroy it. And Abraham, his uncle, is pleading for Lot, begging God, if there's if there's 50 righteous, if there's 40 righteous, if there's 30, if there's 20, and he's going down all down the list, all because of his, of his nephew Lot that was lost to the world. And just kind of, just, I'm just kind of go through this qu quickly. 
there's, th- there's three things about the world that Scripture... There's three things about, in the world that we're attacked by, and that's the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And some of the things of our lust of our flesh can be found in Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to go through all of them, but some of them are adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, which is another word for uncontrollable lust. That, can, that lust can be anything. Anything that you desire, that you long for so much. The lust of the eyes, and I'm going to touch on these here in a second, but the lust of the eyes, the Bible declares that when the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that she ate of it. And like I said before, before Lot ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, he was looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. He pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And there was something so powerful that went with his eyes, that what he could see and what he could grasp with his eyes, that eventually it pulled him into that field of influence and that environment. The pride of life, in essence, is anything that exalts us above our station and offers the illusion of godlike qualities wherein we boast in arrogance and worldly wisdom. You can even exalt yourself and be prideful in yourself. Satan tempts us with these three things. And I would like to, emph- I would like to mainly emphasize on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes to get us to have an insatiable desire, an uncontrollable longing desire for more better and newer possessions which ensnares us and hardens our hearts to the things of God. There was something so great about Sodom and Gomorrah, and I know I've said this already, but there was something so good, quote unquote, and that, something that felt amazing about Sodom and Gomorrah that pulled Lot in. And I want to I bring our attention to Lot's wife. The angels told them, or I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it in in our in our terminology. The men the men of God in their in their life came, God sent some messengers to them to preach to them, to warn them of the wrath to come, to warn them that judgment was gonna be coming because of the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he told them to run, get as far away from Sodom and Gomorrah as far as you can. And don't look back. And we find that Lot's wife, and there was a lot of dialogue that happened here, but Lot, there, there was a struggle within Lot. There was something, something that he just was so attached to that he wanted to stay connected to the Sodom and Gomorrah. And so much so that he was wrestling with the messengers that God had sent. Can I just go to Zoar, a, a, a place not too far from here? I just want to stay, I want to, I, I want to leave, but I don't want to go too far from Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we find that eventually they make their way out, they pull them out, and the messengers are like, they, they stop holding their hand, they, start, they stop babying him and pulling him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're like, you, know, you guys have to run and don't look back. And we find in scripture that Lot's wife looked back. The goal of the enemy is to get you so caught up with the pleasures and cares of this life that you miss out on the call of God on your life. Media, if you can, if you can turn to Luke chapter 21, verse 31 and 34 for me. Luke chapter 21, verse 31. It says, so likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verse 34 for me. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfriting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that they come upon you unawares.
Sister Hammond had mentioned before the service had started about those children in Texas. I don't know what their, their final thoughts were, their final words they could say, what they, what they did with, what they utilized with their time. But you all better be thankful that you guys have this opportunity to be in here. There came a time. They didn't know that that day was going to come. They didn't know some young guy was going to walk in there and shoot up the school full of kids your guys' age. But there came a day when it came upon them unawares. And I pray, I pray that they were ready. I pray that they were saved and they did what they could. I really do. And I pray that after this, after this service, you guys take some time to think about everything that's been said tonight. God had great plans for Samson. I'm just going to kind of jump around from different memoirs and throughout the scripture. But God had great plans for Samson. But he got so caught up in an immoral relationship that ate away at his convictions and love for God. Although his parents told them, I don't think you should talk to this, this individual. I know it was a guy, I know Samson was a male and he, his parents told him to stop talking to a female. But let's, let's, let's switch the roles here. Young ladies, if you're talking to a man that is not in church, that is not in the word like they should be, don't talk to them. Cut it off. Because if you're not careful, you'll be sucked into the world. Think of it like this. When you, put two, when you get magnets, when you get magnets, they don't have to be just an inch away until they finally click together. They don't have to be in centimeters away until they finally suck together. It can be out to here and it'll pull together. And if you're in that field long enough, if you play with the, if you straddle the fence long enough, you'll get bit and you'll get pulled in. And what happened to Samson? Samson, I'm pretty sure, the word of the Lord doesn't say this, but I'm pretty sure we can all agree that at some thought, some fleshly carnal thought that rose in his mind when his parents told him, no, I don't think you should be talking to that young lady. I think I can, I can still keep my convictions and be with this woman in the world. I can still operate in my strength, the, the, that God-given anointing, and still be attached to this woman. And we find that at the end, his life ended because of his love for the Philistine women, of which... God said not to marry with, not to be a part with, no, don't mingle with. It ended with him, his life ending. And he took, yes, he took all the lives of the Philistines, and we, and, we, and we see all that. But the point I'm trying to make here is his life did not have to end that way. What if he listened to his parents and he, and he married within the people of God instead of the people of the world? King Solomon in the world, he gained all the achievements a man in the world could ask for. Wealth, power, and women. That's the, that's the worldly achievement. If you have those three things, you got, it, you got it made for for you. He had the fame. He was known amongst all the people. But he chose worldly women that worshiped God's contrary to the one and only God. And we find in scripture that they turned his heart away from him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I know this is a lengthy passage of scripture, but I feel it's important to read, but turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and media team, just kind of follow along with me. I'm going to read in the Amplified, you guys follow along in the King James, or actually the easy to read version, that's an actual version.
He said, I said to myself, I should have fun. I should enjoy everything as much as I can. But I learned that this is also useless. It is foolish to laugh at all the time. Having fun does not do any good. So I decided to fill my body with wine while I filled my mind with wisdom. I tried this foolishness because I wanted to find a way to be happy. I wanted to see what was good for people to do during their few days of life. Then I began doing great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I planted gardens. I made parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made pools of water for myself. I used them all to water my growing trees. I brought men and women slaves, and there were slaves born in my house. I owned many great things. He had all this stuff. He got, verse 8, he gathered silver and gold for himself. He took treasures from kings and their, nation, their nations. I had men and women singing for me. I had everything a man could want. Anything my eyes saw, verse 10, and wanted, I got for myself. My mind was pleased with everything I did. And this happiness was the reward for all my hard work. Verse 11, but then I looked at all, everything I had done. And the wealth I had gained, I decided it was all a waste of time. It was like trying to catch the wind. There was nothing to gain from anything we do in this life. He did all these things, and it was nothing. The prodigal son who left his father's house to live his life to the fullest due to his desire for the world, and ended up wasting his life away. And we find him running back to father's house, and his father redeemed him, clothed him in robes, threw a party for him, and rejoiced that his son that was once lost was now found. There's one particular lust of the flesh I want to talk about and I feel it's one thing that gets a lot of people twisted and eventually they just kind of find their way out. And this is just one of the things. This is not the main thing. But I want to talk about the dangers of what pornography can do to your mind and your spirit. And I know that's a, that's a sensitive word for some of you, but I know that if not some of you, if not all of you, have heard this talked about in some circle of conversation, whether it be at school or on the side. But the statistics show, and this is 2017, okay? We live in 2022. I'm sure it's completely changed by now and probably has gone through the roof. But statistics show that, before I say this, how many of y'all are 10 years Old and younger. Raise your hand. What is that? Is that about, what, 20 of you guys? 15? More? Statistics show that one in every 10 kids under 10 years of age have seen pornography. Now, that wasn't to point anyone out. Because teenagers, this is not just for 10 years old and younger, teenagers find themselves trapped in these chains. But the two things that pornography does to your brain is it tricks your brain and it rewires your brain. There is a pleasure chemical, this is just a little bit of science, but there's a pleasure chemical called dopamine, which when you, feel, when you get that, that sensation of happiness, your body releases a chemical called dopamine which creates a link between certain habits and rewards. Impacts the brain like in, the pornography impacts the brain like an addictive drug, and this is on an article, and I'm quoting, by triggering ever-increasing amounts of dopamine. Over time, the brain builds up a tolerance to it and requires either more access or more extreme content to achieve that same level of perceived pleasure. And it gets your brain less pleasure while wanting more, often causing desensitization, desensitization and escalation in behavior. 
another chemical that is also released is called Delta Fos B, which is known as a reinforcer. It creates neural pathways to connect what someone is doing to how they feel. In this case, your brain is tricked to thinking that pornography is that true sense of pleasure. And what happens is this connection, which causes a greater demand for it, causes a greater demand for it and makes it very possible to return back to it. When the neural pathways connect your brain's pleasure center to something harmful, it can overwhelm previously held beliefs about what's unethical and inappropriate and make you think that those things are normal. But you see, some of y'all think that that's, that's, that's fun. Because you feel good. Your flesh feels good when you, when you partake in those things, when you do those things, when you search those, those websites, when you look at the images that the world puts out. And the world wants to say that that's okay, that that's fine. People say that it's normal. It's okay. That pornography is not bad. I like to beg to differ because it is. Now, some of y'all won't even understand the initial impact unless you've gone through it yourself. But it does something to your minds. It perverts your minds. It twists your perception of how you view the person of the opposite sex. And what begins to happen is you, you grow older and you start finding yourself in a lot of trouble. And you start to get closer and closer to the world. You start looking back at the world. And these are all habits learned from the world. And you guys have to be careful because if you get involved in this, you'll get to the point where, you're, where your body wants more. It, wants a, it craves more. I don't know if I'm making sense to anyone tonight. I know I'm all over the place. Let's just lift up our hands for right now, for a moment. It matters where you pitch your tent. See, looking back, most of y'all will think looking back means to turn around. When you actually look at, at the phrase, looking back, it actually means something more. It comes from the Hebrew word, nebah, which means to look intently at. To regard with pleasure or care. When Lot's wife looked back at the world, she didn't just, I'm sure she probably did look back and turn around and look at Sodom and Gomorrah. But when she looked back, she began to consider Sodom and Gomorrah. I know the man of God said to leave and not look back, but and I don't know what it was for Lot's wife. I don't know what it was that she had attachments to. I don't know what it was that was so captivating in Sodom and Gomorrah that she began to consider it again. But her consideration of the world and saying, you know, that's really not that bad. I can still get one last look. And the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt because of it.
be careful what you consider. Be careful what you look at in the world. I, don't, I know I don't, I'm not the best when it comes to words. So if this is annoying you, this is not for you. If you don't like, if you don't like how I talk, this, this, this message is not for you. I come with an assignment. I come to give you guys whatever God has given me. I know sometimes I have it all here, and it's I have a hard time explain, just getting it out. But there was an old, there was, and I had to use it. There was an old movie called Pinocchio, and I know that sounds silly, but Pinocchio, he was supposed to be a good puppet boy, and. He has some friends, and there was a character in the story of Pinocchio named the Coachman, and there was a place called Adventure Island, and Pinocchio, he did not like when he wanted to do something bad, if he wanted to be a bad boy, he didn't like when he was told, hey, you shouldn't do that. And he let, there were some other friends that he was around that encouraged that. And they eventually made their way on this wagon with the coachman to Adventure Island where they could do anything they want. It's that they could, and this is a movie and it shows all this. They could drink, they could smoke, excuse me, they could do anything their heart's desire wanted to do. And the thing unknowns to them is there was a curse on this island where basically they would turn into donkeys. The longer they stayed there, the more wicked things they did, the more this curse started to work on them. And the whole idea was when they finally turned 100% into a donkey and they couldn't they couldn't speak like how we can speak. The coachman would sell them basically into slavery, into the, the mines or circuses just to get money off of you. Some, some boys in the story weren't, weren't fortunate enough, but Pinocchio had this, he was basically portraying his conscience. Your conscience is something on the inside of you that tells you, hey, you shouldn't do that, or hey, that's good. You should do that. And he had this, the character, his name was Jim, Jimny. He was a little, I think, a little cricket. And his goal, his basically role in the story is to be his conscience and direct Pinocchio to make good decisions. But we find that at some point, Pinocchio got so fed up with the voice that he crushed it. And we find that he eventually he got done, got rid of the voice, and he stayed in Adventure Island, only to find out that him and his friends started turning into the donkeys. That that was the curse. And how it stopped was they stopped doing bad things and they got off the island. The more you consider the world, the more you are part of the world, and the more you do the activities of the world, you will start to begin a transformation where you'll go from an innocent mind, you'll go from an innocent soul to a tainted spirit. You'll go from something so pure full of sensitivity, you're, you're sensitive, you're more sensitive in that state you would be more sensitive to God. But when you become attached to the world for too long, you'll begin a transformation. If you can pull up on the screen Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 for me. I'm not going to be long. Musicians, if you want to come, you can. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
May you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The more you love the world, you'll be shaped like the world. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. And we find that Lot's wife, she was given an opportunity. God pulled her out of the fire. God was trying to reach her. And in the midst of his reach for her soul, she threw it back in God's face. It was like, you know what, God? There's something about Sodom and Gomorrah that I just, I have to, I have to reconsider. I don't know who this is for tonight. Maybe this is, maybe this is recorded. I don't know what it is that you're so attached to in the world. I don't care what has happened to you. You're looking at the result of an adulterous affair. You're looking at an individual who was touched, molested because of the world. You're looking, you're looking at an image of someone who was taken away with the friends and environment of this world. You're looking at someone who had to watch his mother get beaten every night because of a man that perceived to be kind. A man that perceived to be charming. And you know, I can take care of you, we'll, we'll be, everything will be fine. And all it did was bring drugs into home. You come home drunk every day. And every night, it's the same, same, same thing. Beating after beating after beating. And you guys think that initially you got the world, see the world doesn't show you guys that. The world doesn't show you what alcohol can do to your mind and what it can cause pain on somebody else because they're so out of it. They don't show you that alcohol can actually kill you. They don't show you the behavior it can put inside of you. They don't show you what drugs can do to you. I don't know who this is for. But whatever you're attached to, you got to leave it back. What does it profit? If you gain the whole world, you get satisfied. I'm not saying the world doesn't bring a sense of satisfaction, satisfaction or a sense of happiness. It does, but only for a season. And at the end of the day, we all have to go through the same toll bridge. We all have to pay. The Bible says that there's not expedient judgment when we sin. It's not like what it was in the Old Testament where if you did something wrong, a limb was cut off or you were put to death because of something you did. And you guys don't have to raise your hand some of y'all probably don't even care. But if you knew that every time you cursed, you looked at something you shouldn't have, you said something you shouldn't, the, the list goes on and on and on. And the judgment of that was you would immediately die. I'm pretty sure none of you guys would be doing any of the things you may be doing. Now, I don't know, I don't know you. 
I don't know your guys' story. Each of us have a story that we're not proud of. Each of us have different backgrounds. Probably greater backgrounds and more serious backgrounds than I've had. But I know that if God pulled me out of the fire, because I listened to the voice. You see, Pinocchio crushed the voice. And that's, that's, that's what your flesh wants to do. Your flesh doesn't want to hear what the man of God has to say. I've been in pastor's office plenty of times. Some of y'all probably look at me and be like, how in the world does Matthew get pulled into Bishop's office? You see, I, I, look, I look like I had it all together on the outside, but on the inside, I couldn't fool nobody. And it took Bishop multiple times to preach to me, to speak to me, those phone calls, those office meetings. And there was, there was a season in my life when I was a young teenager, and it felt like I was in the world for 20 years because I was just so far gone out of it. It took, it took my mom, and, I, and I, I'm very careful when I say this. going through musicians start playing you guys don't have to tell me what you guys have gone through I was a broken man just like any of you broken men and you see men don't like to cry but I don't care I think it's a hindrance that that's what the world teaches young ladies whatever has happened to you God did it for my wife. My wife had to do some things that she was not proud of as a woman. And I'm pretty sure if you could talk to Sister Sverlaza, Sister Sloss, any other adult woman in this house, they could tell you some things that they're not proud of. And it doesn't take someone, a family member losing their life to get you in this, in this thing. It doesn't take something so serious to get you sold out. And if you're not here to be sold out, it's only a matter of time till you'll end up like Lot's wife. I'm not here to tell you something you guys like. I'm here to pull you guys out of the fire. The scripture says to obey them that have the rule over you that they may do it with joy and not grief. I'm pretty sure Abraham wished he could have brought more people out of the fire than just Lot. Because if you think about it, that was the only one that made it out other than his two daughters. Noah. Noah preached probably about a hundred years. And there was that day came, people were caring about their lives, doing as they pleased. And the scripture says, for yet seven days, God kept that door open. And it wasn't Noah that closed the door, it was God that closed the door. And that day came when, they, when all those hypocritical statements you're preaching that judgment message all over again. You're preached too hard. You're annoying that you preach the same thing over and over again. And that was that very little thing, that very one thing that they disposed of. That was the reason for why they ended up being perished. 
Scripture says that the waters flooded the earth and every soul perished. Young people, it may not seem real to you. You may not understand it now. But God's coming back. And you guys don't have to raise your hand for anything. This is just something for you to, when you go home, you can do some self-reflection. But go in the mirror, look in the mirror tonight, and ask yourself, if God were to come back right now, would I be ready? Because God, you see, look, God, God's not going to stand there and wait for you. He's waited thousands of years. And as long as you've been alive to get your, your act together and get right with him. And if you're not ready, you'll be left behind. Stand with me for a few moments. If you want to come to this altar, feel free to come to this altar. If, the, if, you don't want, if, you don't, if you don't think God's going to do anything else for you, if you don't want a change, you can, you can, you can stay wherever you are. I'm not going to force you. I can't change you. You have to want to be changed. You have to want a move of God. You have to want the difference. You got to want to be the difference. If God were to come back right now, would you be ready? What are the thoughts that are going through your mind that you're entertaining? What are the images that you're looking at that you're so fond of? What are those things? What are the friends that you're trying to hang out with? Those friends are nothing. Come on, young people, lift up your hands. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, young people. It's time to stop playing games. Don't consider the world. The world's not worth it. Drinking's not worth it. Those friends ain't worth it. That man ain't worth it. That woman ain't worth it. Come on, young men. Come on, young ladies. Push, press. Come on, 
about somebody all across this house. Come on, young people, if you're not praying, pray with somebody. Come on, God is touching lives right now. God is changing somebody's life right now. Somebody, before we leave this house, can you just say, God, I'm not going back. God, I'm not going back to those old ways. God, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go back to those old ways. God, I'm going to. God, I'm going to turn away. God, I'm going to turn away. God, I'm not going to go back to those old things I used to do. God, I'm not going to go back to those old ways. Somebody, if you don't know what to pray, can you just say the words, I'm never going back. God, I'm not going to go back to those old ways. God, I'm not going back. God, I'm not going to go back. God, I'm going to change. Before we leave this place, come on, I can't go back. 